Hey everybody, it's Digital Bytes time again for Team Blockchain, Johnny Fry, and he always allows me, James Tiley, to participate. I get to have fun, I ruin the whole thing, I'm, I'm the village idiot sometimes, but this is a great episode. Not at all, not at all. Not at all. That's what, you just pat me on my head and tell me to go back behind the curtain. No, get out of it, get out of it. I'm you're, so you're... excited that our guest later actually said, hey... It just dawned on me, Cyber FM is in our system. Through no, you know, we didn't do that. We didn't, we didn't work that out with that guy. We were just there. That's going to be great <laughs> to hear about. Well, yeah, well, he, that's, uh, well, that's CoinFirm coming up after the break. Um, and for regular listeners, you may remember, uh, uh, Mirchak came on in uh, beginning of December last year. So nearly six months later, and going to give us an update on how, how CoinFirm... Uh, and they specialize in anti-money laundering um, software. Um, been working with a number of big banks in uh, US and uh, Asia and, and here in Europe. And I understand that business is going well and adoption is gathering pace amongst the institutions. But, but more of that after the, uh, after the break. Um, but good to be back on the air with you, James. Yeah, it's always fun. And we've been having fun lately, right? We have that bonus episode coming up. You and I were just BSing about NFTs. I don't know if anybody's caught that one, but it, but it's going to be up, and it's uh, it was uh, we should do more of that as well. Yeah, we we ought to, and uh, well, we have. To, I know you've got a couple of guests that you're going to get lined up, so we'll we'll get those on as a as an extra. Um, I'm trying to as, make friends, as, uh, I am. <laughs> you got laser friends. Get out of it. Okay, so so this is um, we're actually recording this on the fourth of May, um, and uh, it's the fourth of May edition. 2022 Digital Bytes, which for new listeners, welcome. Um, this is basically a, uh, a radio show that James and I do um, every week, looking at how, where and why blockchain technology and digital assets are being used in different jurisdictions and different industries. And I'd just like to sort of stress at the beginning of all this is that we are not looking to give financial advice in any shape or form. Um, the whole idea of the publication is to really be a little bit thought provoking, raise awareness, um, hopefully educational about um, the technology and about digital assets, which really cover now the whole gambit from sort of ICOs and STOs and therefore crypto, NFTs, DeFi, digitalization of currencies, equities, bonds, property, uh, commodities. Um, and we're really trying to show how the technology and how this asset class is, is gaining more and more adoption um, in different industries, James. You know, and what's interesting in, in this particular newsletter, we discussed the role in blockchain with the buy now, pay later platforms. And yes. in, in between, when you and I had interviewed uh, CoinFirm and now, uh, I took a moment and I said, oh, I have a, a really expensive wheels on one of our cars. And I used the buy now, pay later platform. I said, let me go pay that bill. So I got that out of the way. And that's real world adoption, right? I'm using that. It's outside of blockchain, but it makes sense that since that industry is growing so quickly, right, it's going to be like 90 billion in the next few years that it should Just, go to blockchain. Yeah. Well, it's, it's, it's interesting. The, as I say, buy now, pay later. Um, we, we, we were asked by one of our, uh, of our readers, could we, could we have a look at it? And how is, um, how is blockchain technology coming into this sector? And, can you use digital assets as a form of payment? Um, and, and the short answer is yes on both of those. And, and probably the biggest um, and best, well, probably the best well-known 
buy now, pay later provider is PayPal, um, which is available now in an incredible 600,000 stores all over the world. Um, and not only are they now geared up to accept different digital assets, um, including some different cryptocurrencies, but they're a big provider of buy now, pay later, um, you know, in many, many different jurisdictions. And, and as you say, you know, really buy now, pay later, as the name suggests, um, you, you buy it now and you pay it typically over um, three or four months. And the cost to the client is zero because the buy now, pay later um, providers, they get a margin um, from the people um, that the, the goods are being bought from. So typically um, they're, they're getting a, 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 like a fee, a commission. Um, so it's not costing the client anymore and you're getting effectively interest-free credit. The yeah, trouble I... is, is that as interest rates go up, how long is that model going to be sustainable for, James? So I used it, like I said, myself a half an hour ago to make a payment, which wasn't in crypto. I wish it was. But the, the reason that I had chose to use them for this particular product that I had bought was that they didn't check my credit report. And I don't believe I'm paying any interest. And I just no, didn't want to lay out the full amount at one shot back in the day. And that, that's the, well, it was interesting. Um, according to a report um, by Accenture, they reckon um, that buy now, pay later platforms have already signed up 45 million people. And uh, another survey by a company called Ascent reckon that 62% of the users think that buy, buy now, pay later could replace credit cards. So, you know, that, that's a that's a, you know, a, a quite a quite an incredible number um, with the growth by 2025, according to Insider Intelligence, could the market could be something in excess of 680 billion in, in size. And, and there's there's a there's a whole host. And I'm not going to go through them all, but it's in this week's Digital Bytes. If you'd like a copy, then contact either James or I. Um, we're both on LinkedIn or James at cyber.fm. Myself is teamblockchain.net. And. There's a whole range of different companies that are offering buy now, pay later platforms using blockchain technology. Um, and I think as we start seeing a combination of the technology and then using smart contracts and using digital assets to make sure you don't miss your payments and you're automatically paying, paying it off. So it doesn't really doesn't cost you anything. We're going to see more and more activity in this sector, um, or, you know, without a doubt. And it's really spawned the biggest financial services company um, in Europe a company called um, Klarna. So um, that, that's, that, that's, you know, it shows you the sort of growth of the market. Yeah, it was a good read. And I've used Klarna in the past too, yeah. personally. Yeah. So, well, they're, 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 they're literally everywhere. Literally so they're big. Everywhere. They're a big company. Yeah. Yeah. Big old company. So um, the, the other thing that um, we were looking at, um, we were just chatting before the show was blockchain in the, um, in the medical industry, James, and you, you were saying it's it's quite a challenge in the USA. Yeah, it caught my attention because of uh, just the different laws that we, I mean, well, for one thing, you know, the insurance controversies in the United States. Uh, as a wheelchair user, so here's a fun thing for you. As a wheelchair user, it's expected that I have my insurance company provide a wheelchair whenever I need it. You would think, right? Yep. Uh, a soapbox, my opinion, doesn't work that way. I have been paying cash for my wheelchairs easily the past decade, decade and a half. Only for the fact that I believe that I know what type of wheelchair it is that I need for my needs, right? And these doctors will say, well, sure, you could use this, you could use that. Nobody knows my body better than me. 
and then have the insurance company deny it. Well, James doesn't need the 15-pound titanium free-flowing rigid frame wheelchair, so here's an 800-pound steel good-luck moving chair. So I've given up on insurance and the laws that they claim that, that exist. And and I'm not sure blockchain can handle any of that or fix any of that. Um, but then we also have all the privacy requirements, right? Like, in theory, I don't have to tell you that I'm in a wheelchair and I need a new one and I'm not going to use my insurance company. Because in the United States, that's all private information. So the laws are really weird. Blockchain being transparent, it's almost a, an oxymoron. Yep. Well, f- well, funny enough, you, you you touched on some interesting things there, and um, also in this week's digital bytes, um, w- you know, we've we've got a um, an article here um, from Checked, and if you remember, we had our friend Fraser, uh, not the guy in Cheers, um, and he was talking about self sovereign identity, right? And this this is an issue which, um, in simplistic terms, self sovereign identity, as we discussed with Fraser Edwards, who's the CEO of Checked. C-H-E-Q-D, so it's an unusual way of spelling checked, but C-H-E-Q-D. Basically, um, he and his colleague Martin Moore have written an article about um, how self-sovereign identity um, can actually help, help in the DeFi, decentralized finance, and the centralized sort of um, financial systems that we find ourselves in. Because increasingly, we're seeing laws in the UK, um, stroke Europe, we have GDPR, uh, um, which is really looking to make sure that your data is secure and protected. Um, parts of America, you have very similar sort of thing. You've got Apple now basically enabling you to sort of opt out so people can't follow and track your information and details. I see Google are now offering it as an option as well. Because, James, I shouldn't need to know in many, many situations whether you are in a wheelchair or not. It's, it's, it's actually, in many situations, it's really not, not my business to know that. Um, whereas in the old system, you know, kind of that information and certainly personal information um, about your date of birth and where you were born and where you live and, I don't know, your identity number, passport number, driving license, all that sort of information, it was it was sort of had to be provided. And then it was kept, you know, on my records if I was, say, the bank or a brokerage or a utility provider, and, and I had all that information. And And, and this comes back to using blockchain technology in the medical industry, because if you look at some of the challenges and some of the problems um, that face um, the medical industry from a fraud point of view, you know, it's right across the piece from the very outset in terms of drug trials. Um, And then people manufacturing fake drugs or using the wrong sort of ingredients, Um, unqualified staff performing procedures, you know, people that aren't doctors and surgeons, We've seen it time and time again. It's not just stuff from Hollywood um, where catch you if we can. Um, Leonardo Capriani pretend to be all those different professions. It, it happens, unfortunately, in, in many jurisdictions. The insurance companies, the invoicing are unnecessarily expensive. You know, we can go on and on and on. And a lot of that um, is that it's coming into a situation whereby the lack of transparency means that they have to put in so many systems and procedures and checks and balances. And that just adds up to the cost, which guess what? You know, it's the end user 
uh, you and I pay more for our insurance premiums um, because, you know, the, the systems and procedures are at best creaky. Right. And it's insurance I don't even want to pay for because, like you said, there, you're still in, in some aspects, you're still just uh, call it, I dare to say it, a staff member. Like when I order a wheelchair, you should see how it arrives. Right. If, if, if my seat is 18 inches deep and 16 inches wide and I wanted 24, it comes, to, it shows up in the house barely put together. And I'm like, wait, your job, you can't even put the wheel, the durable medical equipment, which is the appropriate term, is, you know, oh, well, we didn't have your measurements on file. Well, all right, <laughs> throw the measurements in the blockchain then. So going forward, I can, I can just say here, activate the smart contract, send me an updated wheelchair. Well, it would, it would be part of your digital identity. Or so be part of, be... all right, that makes more sense too, yeah. Yeah, so it's, it's part of your, but, but this whole digital identity is really important because um, you know, there's certain surveys saying stolen healthcare information is 20 to 50 times more valuable on the back black market than financial information, because that stolen data for medical identity is, you know, it can have terrible consequences for you as a as a patient. But it's costing the industry billions. But using, you know, again, using a blockchain based platform, that information can be held cryptographically are much more secure and it can then be given to people on a permissioned basis so you know there's there's maybe the you know the person actually checking well certainly the person checking into a hospital or a clinic will want certain information but that information it, it doesn't need to go like i don't know your national insurance number for identity point of view well that doesn't need to go to the surgeon but you sure as heck want to make sure that you know when you're on the old operating table that you they haven't turned the table around and instead of taking out your back molars they they you know chop off your knee or something stupid and okay that's an extremity but there's been time and time um we've seen situations and if anyone's had any operations you'll know that if they're going to operate on you they end up drawing big lines on you on your arm or your, wherever they're going to do the operation because there's been so many mistakes in the past because of inaccurate data i i know a guy face to face i know a friend of mine uh they left an item in his body. And this is like 2005. They like left uh, a screw or something like in his body. Wow. I could go all day about the medical industry in general, but I probably shouldn't. Yeah. But how, how about just going to the, the hospital, whether it's an emergency or a planned visit, and the, what's, what does the doctor always say to you? Fill out these forms. You're like, come on, again? Don't you know me? Yeah. You spotted me. You hung out with me the other day at a bar. <laughs> now you're asking me to fill out these forms again. How are they not stored? Well, again, again, it comes back to the bureaucracy, and there have been so many mistakes in the past. It, the only way to do it is to keep checking, double checking, and you know you'll find medical records. Um, I was talking to a friend of mine, and she looks after um, children in the community um, in, in a big patch here in the UK. And um, and looking after this sort of the, the, the cancer treatment. And she said you could have a, a child um, which, for various different reasons, could actually interface with up to 20 different medical professions from sort of, you know, the, sort of their personal care, their, their teachers, their surgeons, their doctors, you know, and it, so the list goes on. And it's easy to see in a paper based system when you're trying to sort of, you know, we, we used well, used to be paper. Then we. Thought, oh, we'll get super sophisticated. We'll put it onto microfiches and then faxing information. You can just see how easy it is to 
make a mistake. Whereas if our information is held digitally. So, for example, in the UAE, um, if you're going to have an operation, all, all the information about all of the people that are going to interact with you, that's all held. So you can see from, you know, from the, you know, from the surgeon down to the sort of nursing um, care, what are their qualifications? Where were they qualified? Are they up to date in terms of all their relevant sort of continual professional development? What's their percentage success rate? And it goes on and on and on. Well, you're paying for a service. Surely you're entitled to make sure that surgeon, the anaesthetist, the hospital general, you know, what's their track record? You know, and you may find one hospital is really great on heart, heart operations where another hospital is really good on ear, nose and throat operations where you want to go presumably to the best. So how do you get that information? It's got to be held in a way that people can't manipulate it. And therefore you can make the decision. Because if you're going to pay for that operation, you want to make sure you get in the very best care. And that overall will help improve standards because effectively they have to compete amongst themselves to ensure that they are doing the right thing at the right time with the right people. You know, it used to scare me. Every medical school always has that one doctor that passed with a C. <laughs> but James, I was, James, in doing this article, I was, I was really, I was surprised that they reckon in last year the U.S. healthcare spending was nearly twenty percent of the country's GDP. Oh, it's 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 amazing. It's a it's a huge number, and and there were num- there were figures out today in Japan, and they were saying that the the least number of children um, were born in Japan. Um, last year. And so you have somewhere like Japan where you've got uh, relatively, I think there's only 20 million people under 18 from memory. Um, and you've got a population because they, because of their diet, they live for a very, very long time. So you've got people living longer and there's fewer people to look after them. And it's a, it's a huge issue. It's a huge challenge. And because of the only having one um, baby policy in China, um, you know, again, they've got a, they've got a potential, um, declining population um, over the next few decades. And as they're all getting older and living longer, the, the amount of money being on healthcare is going to get bigger and bigger in many, many different markets. This isn't just something peculiar to the US or, or the UK. This is happening in, in many, many different countries. And therefore, any way to make the healthcare and the medical industry more efficient um, has, has got to be a good thing because we're spending more and more of our money as, a, as countries uh, on keeping, you know, our, our friends and our family as they get older, keeping them alive in effect. It'd definitely be one of the bigger challenges that we'll face. Yeah. So coming up after the break, James, as I say, we've, we've got CoinFirm um, and CoinFirm are, um, well, a really multinational business. Uh, Merchar is based in Florida, a few hours south from you. Um but they've also got offices here in the UK, but their main base is in Poland. And they've written an article about non-fungible tokens as a better conduit of value than REITs. And we'll be talking to him about um, why does he think non-fungible tokens um, could be a way to enable people or a better way for people to invest in um, real estate and property, which is obviously what REITs do. So, So that's coming up after the break. But if anyone would like a copy of Digital Bytes, um, it comes out every Wednesday. Um, just please uh, contact either James or myself and we'll happily um, get you on the mailing list and um, send you information about, as I say, some of the developments that are going on in the blockchain and digital asset space. Yeah, and Lord knows REITs have been around for a year, right? That's one of the first ones you learn about growing up as a, as you become an adult. Hey, you want to invest in a REIT? 
Yeah, but what was I thought was interesting in the article is that at the moment we've got a, um, you know, inflation is creeping up everywhere. Um, and, you know, people are worried that are we going to go through a sustained period of higher inflation? It's not been helped by, you know, obviously what's happening in Russia and Ukraine and the fact that, you know, oil prices have gone up a lot, um, grain prices have gone up a lot. But prior to all of that, um, the amount of money that's been sloshing around the system is, as a result of the pandemic and um, prior to the pandemic as a result of stimulating the economy in Europe and Asia and America. And governments just printed trillions and trillions uh, of dollars and yen and euros and pounds. And indeed, last year, the US created 25 percent of all the dollars ever created. Um, and I think that goes back to about 1863 when the Fed was first set up. So there's a lot of money sloshing around. And, you know, one of the recognized definitions of inflation is too much money chasing too few goods. Well, we've certainly seen a lot of cash pumped into the system. So that hasn't helped, um, you know, by obviously what's going on in, in, the, in the terrible trusses in Ukraine. But we've got a lot of inflation potential in the system. But in the 70s, um, you actually saw some very highly leveraged REITs crashed. And two thirds of them um, actually went went bust or had to be reorganized so even property which looks like a good bet potentially in an inflationary era you need to be careful to make sure that it's not over leveraged and the REITs can actually afford to pay the debt Um, otherwise you could find that they too go bust if we see interest rates ratcheting up which some people think we're going to see interest rates in in certainly in in Europe you know you know in excess of five percent which is a massive jump from where we are today um in America, we've already got long bonds over 3%. That They could well hit 5% at least before we see these inflationary pressures subsiding over the next um, next while or two. Yeah, I wouldn't be shocked if we had a, an all-new and improved recession coming. Mm, not great. Okay, no. well, we'll, be, we'll be back after the break. And thank you for listening to the Digital Bite Show here on Cyber.fm. Want to have some fun? The next time you're in a computer store, set all the laptops to cyber.fm. Go ahead, turn them up real loud. And if the salesperson gets angry, tell them we told you it was okay. This is cyber.fm. Oh, it's been a wild off-air event, huh? We are back, Johnny and I, with CoinFirm. CoinFirm's back. It's a second run. And, uh... And Merchow, if I'm saying that right, he was all excited. He's like, he already started getting interviewed. I had had to tell Johnny, calm down, bro. We're not even recording yet. (laughs) But here we are. So now we got to make this poor guy restart his whole thing. He's so, so and I got excited too because I got a feeling the CyberVM tokens are are part of CoinFirm now. Not, Not through any special relation, but the fact that they're covering like every token that exists. Pretty much so. Thank, thanks, James, and welcome back after the break. And yeah, delighted, uh, uh, Doctor Doctor Dance, as as I as I think of him. But he only does a bit of a dance. He doesn't do the whole Charleston. It's because it's um it's Mircha, not Mirchacha, isn't it? Correct. Yeah, you got it right. Got it right. God, thank goodness for that. So thanks for coming um, back on to the Digital Bike Show. And um, I, I'd like to, in a moment, get into the article you've written, which is. Um, you know, non-fungible tokens as a better conduit of value than um, real estate investment trust, which is a bit of a mouthful. 
But before we do that, it'd be really interesting just to get a bit of an update on what Coin Firm are doing. We had, last had you on the show beginning of December. I can't believe it's that nearly six months ago. Um, but yeah, could you give us a bit of an update on wh- where you see the markets? I know you're very much at the institutional level dealing with sort of financial institutions and banks. Um, have they come off the fence? Are they beginning to do things now? Yeah. So first, thank you for getting me on the show. Um, I'm happy to talk with you as often as your audience will find it interesting. Hopefully I have interesting things to share. Um, we see a lot more interest in the, let's call them traditional financial institution segment. Uh, the ones that have been on the fence or uh, they are off the fence now, a significant number. We've had uh, a relatively small number last fall. Now we are in the 2000 range and uh, quite clear on the path, on the timeline to make a decision this year. So this is a significant change and it's being pushed by two things. The first one is uh, what we have seen all the time which is more and more people using crypto and uh, from 10 million to 100 to 200 to 300 million people from 250 million to a trillion to 2 trillion to 3 trillion. So that's nothing that you can ignore. And uh, no one who is in the, in uh, the financial business can ignore hundreds of millions of people that uh, control, uh, control trillion dollar worth of assets. So that's what, what I think we've seen that, but it took them a while The second thing is, and this is relatively recent, there is a significant increase in regulatory pressure. In other words, it was free for all for a while. And after that, people said, oh, but there are a lot of uh, uh, shady characters in crypto. So regulations uh, by country and internationally will help with uh, uh, creating the framework that will force companies to do business the right way in a clean way. Mm-hmm. So with regulations being developed, deployed, some smaller jurisdictions, they already have very clear um, regulations. European Union is now moving full speed ahead. So all this makes, uh, uh, creates an environment where uh, we see not only, let's say, the crypto natives, the virtual asset service providers moving into um, the adoption of tools for regulatory compliance, but larger financial institutions they started doing that as well okay so you're seeing in europe um regular regulatory sort of powers being brought to bear and a bit more clarity um and any other jurisdiction what's it like i know you're based in the us personally although coin firm is based in poland so you get a good feel for what's going on both both sides of the Atlantic. what's the situation like in the us from your perspective so in the us uh Regulation in the U.S. is ahead of the rest of the world. That's why you see some of our competitors making strides in the U.S. because they focus on this market. We are coming second or third, but with a very strong product. Um, Regulations in Europe, uh, where we are the market leader, is coming now. So we see like almost every day, and I'm not exaggerating, we have things from financial institutions, from regulators, from Ireland, all the way to Turkey. So everybody wants to know what we can offer, how we can help them. Middle East is now coming very strongly and we had zero business in the Middle East at the beginning of the year. Now we have a significant number of partners, resellers and customers in the Middle East. So it's all happening. In Japan, uh, regulation is happening now. Uh, We are 
contributing with our know-how to the uh, drafting of the regulation and we started seeing customers in Japan as well. So now we have people in Japan, we have people in Europe, we have uh, sales and marketing in the UK. The largest size, I mean, the largest team, the technology team and financial and operation support, customer support, they are in Poland. And we have a small presence in the US. Okay, okay. So I'm interested, um, Mathieu, in your your article, you're, you're sort of talking about NFTs, non-fungible tokens, potentially being used as a, correct me if I'm wrong, but using as a vehicle to give people exposure to the real estate, to property. Why, why do we need a digital way of getting exposure to property? What, what's wrong with REITs? They've been around since the 50s. It's a big, you know, I think it's 80 billion last time I looked in terms of funds under assets. What do NFTs do that REITs can't then? So there is... There's nothing wrong with REITs and there is nothing wrong with real estate uh, records being kept in some countries on paper and some countries online and so on. Uh, But technology is evolving and is providing new ways of uh, uh, doing, uh, using real assets uh, in the digital world in a fractional way. So the REIT is essentially a mechanism where a lot of people pull their money and there is a um, mechanism to buy uh, real properties and they will provide a way to, um, in a sense, buy and sell uh, some financial instrument that is indirectly related to the value of the real estate. The NFTs have the potential to um, change this game, this uh, way of dealing with real properties because number one is the advantage of the technology, of the distributed ledger technology. It's uh, non-contestable. So there is, you don't need title insurance on uh, the blockchain. And uh, you can divide it in as many shares that you want. So you cannot buy, as you cannot buy uh, one hundredth of an apartment building, you can buy uh, a share in a, in a real estate investment trust. Uh, You cannot go to lower levels. You you cannot buy like one hundredth of one. You cannot accumulate in that way. It's also, and this is happening today, a lot of people keep their wealth or a significant portion of their wealth in crypto. So um, going to an NFT is natural as opposed to now I have to go to an exchange, go to cash, deposit the cash into a brokerage account, and from brokerage account I can buy Read and so on. Yeah. So there are operational advantages, and there are um, direct advantages related to, let's say, the long-term solution yeah, that doesn't rely on a significant infrastructure to to keep those uh, funds operational. It's you can do like a read essentially for free using right. so, using so NFT, and it's, it's not only this kind of. It's not only this kind. I mean, we use that as an example. It's any kind of um, the real asset can be can use the NFT mechanism. Yeah, and the fact that today it's like uh, a JPEG of a bored ape. That's just an example. Yeah, because <coughs> because it, it seems almost NFTs and we, we, James and I were talking about this um, actually in last week's show, and and we then it's had a bonus a, another session afterwards. Remember? Yeah, um, and it, it seems like NFT. Are sort of morphed into 
You know, no one talks about ICOs. No one talks about security tokens. I, I hear less and less about tokenomics um, and more about NFTs because NFTs can be used as a ticket, as part of a loyalty program. They can be used to help raise money. They can be helped to sort of do a number of different things. So it's interesting because the, the language around NFTs in the UK, we've just seen, for example, the High Court um, actually saying, well, NFTs are to be treated as um, as property in the sense that um, from a legal perspective, which which has got to help the institutions once again. Um, but from a from a regulatory point of view in the UK, if you look at the language around cryptocurrencies, um, you know, being you know digitally backed asset stored on a distributed ledger technology, it would seem that NFTs are very much a crypto asset. Um, so there's still a little bit of confusion here because you know, are they really a, are they? Is it correct to call them a cryptocurrency? Do you think it is? So <laughs> the whole thing with you know using crypto, yeah, it's it's really a virtual digital asset. Cryptography is used to secure the technology to make it non-repudiate. It cannot be repudiated, the transaction. Yeah, so no one can mess with it because cryptography is used on the distributed ledger. Yeah? So, so that's the crypto, but it's really it. a virtual asset. Yeah. Now the virtual asset is a claim on a physical asset. Yeah. As you have a hundred dollar bill, it's a claim on the US government. You can always exchange it for something yeah. for that. Yeah. As you have a share of Apple, yeah, you have a claim on future dividends that Apple will pay if ever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Actually mm-hmm. they do pay. Yeah. <clears throat> so it's the same concept. Yeah. It's a handle. Yeah. I mean, there are there are NFTs that are, for example, claims for land on the moon. Yeah? And this is opening a whole new uh, game for what is actually uh, what is perceived to have value. So the NFT is a reflection of the fact that some things are perceived to have value. Of course, NFT has a flavor of the month, as you have, uh, as you have uh, pointed out. Yeah? It was ICO, tokenomics, now it's NFT. Who knows what the, what's going to be next? But if you go through all the discussions and everything that's happening, there is real value in using a form of virtual handle for a fraction of uh, um, physical assets. Okay. All right. So I, I, don't, I don't want to turn this into an advert, and we're always very sort of, yeah. <laughs> always very careful. But but the real, let's look at the scenario. I want to go and buy. You've mentioned Apple shares, so let's let's. I want to go buy some Apple shares. Um, and I wander along to my stockbroker. Um, let's call it Robinhood because most of the, um, you know, they're well-known online or eToro or someone like that. And I have to go through sort of a, a money laundering, know your client, submitting documentation. Um, anti-money and, laundering. Anti-money. Oh, sorry, anti-money laundering. Yeah, not money laundering, <laughs> anti-money laundering. Um, and and there's, there's, a, there's a process that I have to go through. If I want to go and buy um, Bitcoin, for example, a cryptocurrency, and... I actually go along to, say, one of the banks that, um, you know, have um, signed up to use your back office. You told me before the show you've got um, over 800,000 different types of cryptocurrencies that you have information and records on. So if I've actually dabbled in any of those and there's some sort of issue, then that's going to get flagged up pretty quickly by your database. And you've got did you say how many clients or how many wallets have you now got on your database? So uh, we keep track uh, 
for various reasons that have to do with uh, potential involvement in uh, in money laundering or terrorist financing of illicit activities, over 200 million addresses. Yeah. Right. Of course, there are billions. I mean, there are a billion addresses on blockchain, on Bitcoin blockchain, and uh, 250 million on Ethereum virtual machine, and so on. So okay. the number is larger. So- Out of them, the ones that have non-zero, I mean. Non-zero doesn't mean it's a problem. It may mean something may have triggered our algorithm to have about 250 million. Yeah. Right. So okay. yes, if you go to a bank and, and try to do something, uh, if they use our software, they will be able to check if uh, your previous activity has triggered any kind of the over 300 flags that we calculate. Okay. So so the point I'm really, I'd really want to try and get across to the listeners is that using digital digital technology using the database that you've now developed um you can carry out those checks in 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 a, in a handful of seconds whereas typically onboarding um and checking just to go and buy something like apple shares or or or, or maybe a, a you know a government guilt or something like that that process the onboarding process can actually take depending on where you go certainly several days and i think this is the the real advantage that institutions and having come from an asset, running an asset management business, I only personally know all too well the challenges around compliance, that actually paper-based records, not only to onboard a client, but the ongoing, making sure that, you know, Mr. Fry is actually, you know, not a political exempt person or hasn't done something, some sort of nefarious activity. And, and that's the advantage of this technology that you can not only do the onboarding, but the on, ongoing checks and balances for the clients. Exactly. So uh, this is the true way of doing digital KYC, digital onboarding, digital transactions. Many times, especially in, let's say, traditional financial institutions, the digital, the digital processes are a digitized uh, conversion of formal paper-based. So even if it's not paper-based, it still requires days with um, the kind of technology that we have and some, some of our partners on KYC, this can take seconds. And in seconds, we can do KYC. In seconds, we can check uh, what is the risk level. And uh, the financial institution using our software can make business decision quicker and uh, in the end, win market share and win customer loyalty. Because I don't think anyone hates the idea. I mean, most people don't hate the idea of no. Uh, letting their bank know who they are, they understand the need, yep. but they hate the process of having to sometimes go in person with, you know, paper ID in hand for someone to check and things like that. Yeah, a yeah. copy of your phone bill or your ID. Yes, exactly. Your yeah. yeah, yeah. And yes. then, and then no. you do it for your partner or your wife or husband, and then you've got to repeat the whole process and just... You know, and then you forgot each the wrong time. paper. Yeah. And it's, yeah, yeah. Ab- absolutely. Yeah. And it's, each it's, time it's, I go to my bank and want to make a cash withdrawal because someone that's repairing my house wants to be paid in cash for whatever reason, I don't understand why. And I withdraw $8,000. I'm, I'm suspicious, yeah? Because okay. that's the level of, of sophistication of the risk algorithm that they use. If everything would, have, would be ordered for things that would be on the blockchain, they can check based on my past 10 years of activity that I've never done anything suspicious. So I should get a clean check like within a second. Yeah. yeah. So, so the, re- the reason I just wanted to go through that as a little example is to sort of re-emphasize this, this issue is that I believe what's going to happen is 
regulators will say, look, you, you can carry on using your paper-based systems if you can have the same level of accuracy and the same speed and treating your customers fairly as you can in a digital environment. And as we see more securities, like equities, bonds, real estate, commodities, currencies, as we see them having a digital representation, then I, 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 I think, and certainly the feedback we're getting from various clients and some of the regulators we speak to, um, it's going to be very difficult for the people that aren't digitized to actually compete and keep using their analog paper-based systems because they just, they can't handle that sort of volume of data and information. Yeah, at the same time, yeah, we we are also looking and thinking of uh, the vast uh, number of people that are unbanked. And this is what, we, and this is in my previous career, moving everything to the mobile phone has the potential of bringing everything to banks and in crypto also with mobile and crypto at the intersection of them, you have a much larger number of people that can participate in, uh, let's say, the the financial system, being it on fiat rails or crypto rails. And with crypto rails, it's even faster, even easier. Well, and well, and, and to that end, we've seen in Africa, there was a 2,500% increase in the number of people in Africa that were um, opening digital wallets just in the first three months of this year, as people realized it was much cheaper and faster to send money using sort of stable coins or using some sort of digital yes. asset as opposed to using the banks and the and the transfer agency companies. But I, I, I could talk for ages to you, I know. Um, yeah. James, before you go, I know we're getting tight on time. Anything in particular that catches your fancy, apart from the fact you want to check out the Cyber um, FM's token is on their system? I actually checked the Cyber FM. Uh, it has been on our system with full support since last June on Ethereum. It was included in uh, our announcement last week, the Tron uh, deployment. And we'll have Phantom uh, uh, in a couple of months. So, yeah, it's fully supported, including the full set of, uh, of, of, of transactions. And, and, is, rates James, and, and so is James on. still on the blacklist of naughty boys you shouldn't deal with? Or is that not I true? don't think so. Quite the opposite. <laughs> <laughs> it's a big asterisk, right? Cyber FM. You guys are whitelisted. Yeah. Oh, you're whitelisted, James. Whitelisted. We are OGs, man. We were in coin limb before, before everybody. <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. That's uh, coin firm. And that's really uh, actually very satisfying to me. (laughs) You know, it's funny. Remember uh, Jack Dorsey years ago, he said, I never thought Twitter was going to make it. He goes, until one day I was at a bar. I think it was in like Gulfport, Mississippi. He said he was at a bar and he looked on Twitter and it was a bunch of people saying, hey, Free drinks at so-and-so, hashtag this bar. And he goes, I was at the bar. He goes, I was watching my company use its mobile, you know, it's the social media in real time out in the wild. And he said that was the day he knew Twitter was going to make it. It was like 2009. So that's the day you know CyberFM is going to make it. We're in CoinFirm. That's exactly what. Good, Good comparison. Yeah, good point. Brilliant. Well, look, um, thank you again very much for um, uh, coming on, on the show. And My we'll pleasure. Def- Anytime. We'll definitely get you back on um, with another update before the end of the year. Um, and if anyone wants to get hold of it, well, what's the best way of getting hold of you or CoinFirm? If you're, it's uh, on the, presumably on LinkedIn. I know you're on LinkedIn. Yes, I am on LinkedIn. Also on, our, on, on CoinFirm.com, if you go to the team, 
you'll see my picture there and the LinkedIn button and for all senior members of the team, we're all there, including myself. Fantastic. Yeah, so Fantastic. Fantastic. And I know open to talk said- with everybody who's interested in this. Yeah. And, and you've, got a, yeah. you've got a series of educational guides um, updating on different jurisdictions in terms of the regulations. I know that's something which you've been doing ongoing. So I um, thoroughly recommend anyone's interest in your particular jurisdiction, whether it's sort of Asia or Europe or Japan or Africa, you know, click on there and you can see um, and get a, get a guide from Coin from no charge. Uh, well, last time I looked, yeah. there's no charge. Yeah. Um, yeah. There's still no charge. And we keep adding like almost every other day we add another one. And I don't know, 20, 30, 40 people per day download them. Brilliant. So, very okay. popular. Super. All right, James. Well, um, thanks for organizing the show today. Um, and um, any, anything in closing before we go? Uh, no, not for me. I say, uh, I say, uh, let's make uh, Coin Firm my third. Right now that we're starting to get the repeat people, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm looking forward to a third repeat of visitors. Excellent. Well, that's that's the Wonderful. idea. Of Keep you updated with yeah. some of our some of our clients and their developments. And um, yeah, it's it's really helpful, I think, to understand how the ecosystem is building and developing. Um, and great to see some success with Coin Firm, who. Um, they've seen their business grow over the last just this the last six or seven months really really growing as we're seeing greater institutional adoption so that's really congrats you know you know oh, I, do. I think that growth outweighed when he was talking about the growth numbers that outweighed normal crypto yeah, right because yeah. we see yeah. it with cyber fm we see oh you know when you see all these bitcoin wallets you know they talk about they're dropped the ethereum wallets are abandoned and we see it or mass adoption, right? 2% of the community knows about crypto. And then with CyberFM, you know, we have a lot of listeners old school. You know, we rerun through dentist offices. You know, if you call a doctor and you're on hold, you might hear one of our channels. You know, so we have very old infrastructure. And we agree that when it comes to crypto with CyberFM, it's like 2%, 3%. So the growth of CoinFirm is outweighing the growth of Lots of other companies that are just in the industry itself. You can see it. Well, yeah, that's, that's, that's definitely happening. Okay, fantastic. Okay, well, we'll, we'll I'll, I'll talk to the team and we'll get you back on the show before the end of the year. But uh, once again, thank you very much for coming on. And, and James, thanks for uh, sorting bits and pieces at your end. And yeah. we'll be back on the waves uh, next week with another edition yeah. of Digital Bytes. Thank you for having me. Looking forward to speaking with you again in the future.